0: Kia ora, e Welcome, friends and family, to the Candid Kiwi podcast. I'm your host, Melissa, and I am the Candid Kiwi. Kia ora and welcome to my seventh episode. Thanks for being here. In this episode, it's just you and I. And I'm going to talk to you about all of the jobs that I've had in my life. Some of them are paid and some of them unpaid. And all of the things that I've learned and the hardships and successes from working. Thanks for being here. Thanks for supporting me and for listening. And I hope you enjoy. Kia ora and welcome. Thanks for being with me for my seventh episode. I appreciate everybody that's listening. So, I was young just like a lot of people when I started working. I don't remember the exact age or date or anything because I'm older, and I don't know if you've found this if you're older for my young listeners. Maybe you should write things down, but things seem to be getting blurrier on the back end the longer I live. Uh, I was a really good journal writer, so I'm glad I have those to look into, and maybe if I pulled those out and had a look I'd be able to give you some accurate numbers but I'm not going to do that so we're just going to have a roundabout. So when I lived in Invercargill I talked about um, the places I've lived in the fifth episode and so when I lived in Invercargill I got a job at Queen's Park Kiosk. Now I knew some people there my uh, uncle and auntie they worked there at the time and they got me a job there. Now Queen's Park was uh, the local park in Invercargill, and it was amazing, beautiful. It had these beautiful rose gardens. It had peacocks and, that would wander around, and I loved them as a child. We also would feed the ducks there. There was a fountain. There was a pool. There were swings. That my earliest memory ever as a human is at Queen's Park, and it was when I was three years old. I was in this little purple bikini and my auntie had given me a loaf of bread and there was a brown paper bag and my auntie told me that my job was to pick the loaf of bread into little pieces so we could feed it to the duck. I remember, as I closed my eyes, I remember standing there feeling warm with the sun on my back and doing that task for my auntie and I was three. And so, Queen's Park is uh, something that has a lot of fond memories for me. This one wasn't as fond, (laughs) but I was appreciative of the opportunity to be able to work at the Queen's Park kiosk. Now, I was pretty useless, and they put up with a lot of stuff from me until they basically fired me. I don't remember feeling like I was fired but I think they let me go but they kept another girl and I didn't understand why and looking back I realized it was because I was pretty useless. So, uh, and I don't blame them for firing me, I would have fired me. So this is nobody's fault, this is just how I was. I couldn't see a job needed to be doing and do it for the life of me that is something that I've had to learn and that I learned as a mother of three children. It took me until I was a mother to learn the art of being able to see something needs to be done and doing it. I did not have that. Consequently I see it in some of my children that shall remain nameless and Drew doesn't understand it because my husband Drew he has always been a workhorse and I don't know if that was instilled in him in a young age Or if he came with it. But he doesn't understand how some of our children just can't see that something needs to be done and just do it. And I have to confess to him, well, bro, that's me, mate. Like, when I was those guys' age, I did the bare minimum that was required of me. I never went above and beyond. I certainly didn't go seeking out for things that needed to be done for me to be able to do. Are you kidding me? But how I was this was not a good way to be for a job because this job at the kiosk was making food cleaning working the register stuff like that and so I tried the register and for the life of me I couldn't figure it out and I don't know why because I was smart enough to be able to do math and everything but it just didn't click for me I wasn't able to figure out the register. I panicked, I under pressure, I messed it up, I probably gave people the wrong change and so they took me out from the register and then in the back they needed stuff done and cleaned and things organized and food made and things prepped and basically I just did what I was told. So they're like, we need you to pull out the loaf of bread and to start making these sandwiches, okay, so I pull out the loaf of bread, what kind of sandwiches, these kind of sandwiches, okay, how do I make them, you make them like this, okay, where's the cheese, oh, it's over there, where's the, and you know, you get pretty tired of telling someone absolutely every step they need to do in order for things to be done, in the end, you say to yourself, well, I could have done this myself, and why am I paying this person, so I got let go because I was useless and of course at the time when I was like 14 or however old I was I didn't understand it and I was like but I did everything they said I did everything they said what was wrong you know what I mean and so a couple years later or a year later or whatever I got a job maybe a few months later who knows I can't remember sorry guys I got a job at the bakery down the road. I'm not too sure how I got this job, but I got it and it was me and this old lady. And who knows if she was really old. She had grey short hair. So to a teenager, to me, she was old. She was probably 50s, which now that I'm in my 40s, isn't super old. (laughs) But to me, she was a super old lady like a grandma. Anyway, so I got this job and same thing. So she had a radio station, and I hated it, so I would change the radio station. I'm sure she didn't like that, and I had no respect for her that it was her place. Uh, I had to be told everything that needed to be done. I didn't just see that things needed to be done and do them, and she got rid of me. She gave the job to so a friend down the road. She heard that I got fired, and she applied for the job, and she got it, and she kept it. And you know why she kept it? Because she could see that a task needed to be done without being told. And she did it. And she didn't change the radio station on this old lady. And so that lady kept her for a long, long time. And she had... The one thing that I loved about this bakery job for the short stint that I had it is that any food that was left over, I got to take home. And this might not be... You might not be able to relate to this, but as a girl of a family of seven and a house that was borderline, this house that I lived in was like the Munsters house. And so it looked like, I don't know if you've ever seen that program, the Munsters, but they have this house. If you don't know, look it up. And that's the house that we were living in. It was a beautiful house in one sense, it had a lot of room for us, mum and dad did a lot of good things to it and I'm proud of what they did with it looking back, but it wasn't, I don't know, like it needed a lot of work, like a ton of work, and we were poor, you know, we weren't, like I said, Calcutta poor, but we were, we didn't have much, let's put it that way, so with me being able to bring this food back from the bakery was this total treat for me and for my siblings. And she got to be able to take that food back to her family who needed it too. And every now and then she'd share a little bit of work with me, which I appreciated. But that was the thing that sucked the most about losing that job was me not being able to bring back any food to my family I don't even know how much money I paid uh got paid and I don't think I even cared I think the thing that I loved about these two jobs is that I got free food (laughs) that just gives you an insight into my childhood which is for another podcast but food was where it was at and nice food we didn't have too much nice food and so I was super bummed that I got fired from those two food jobs free food jobs um My brother, later on in life, he got a job at uh, KFC years and years and years and years later, and we used to all wait up as a family for him to come home, and he'd always bring home KFC to us, and some days he would have some food, and sometimes he wouldn't, but would always wait up, and I don't know how he felt about that, if he wanted the food himself, or if he resented us um, waiting up for him, or if he loved us waiting up for him and sharing the food with us. But all I remember is that that was awesome. So <laughs> then I got another job um, fruit picking in the summers. And this was when I was a little bit older, more like 16. Like I said, I can't remember, so forgive me. And so what we would do is there was this place called Roxborough down in uh, the South Island. And Roxborough had the type of weather that produced lots and lots and lots of fruit for New Zealand. And so, and I don't know how we got this job. My mum must uh, know. And so maybe I should have asked her. But what we got is we got this place that we all lived in, me, my brother and my sister. And um, and another year, it was a couple of my sister's mates too. And we all lived together. We didn't have a car. And the first year at least. Uh, that's another story, hang on, well, the next year we did borrow a car from some dude, and I don't know why the hell, why did he let us borrow his car, that was so stupid, who's going to give a car to a bunch of teenagers, but this dude gave a car for us to borrow the next year, and I wasn't the best driver, and I totally ran it into a pole and dented it, and my mum and dad had to pay for it, and I was not the favorite person of the month. And I don't know if I paid my mum back or anything, but I felt super bad about that. And my brother Llewellyn mocked me because I'm a useless driver. And so he did the majority of the driving. But who the hell was this dude in Roxborough that let us have his car and borrow his car? What did he think was going to happen? Anyway, I felt super bad about my mom and dad having to pay for that man because they didn't have tons of money. And oh, gosh, I hope I paid, gave them some money and paid it back. I remember they were super mad and my brother was really disappointed in me. So that was fun. Anyway, and so let me set the scenario. So we're in this house and we have to get to this fruit picking orchard. And we just chose to do cherry picking. And so in our first year, we had to walk to the cherry picking orchard every morning. And it was a it was a good hike. I mean, we had to get up early and walk early. And so we'll put our thumbs out and try and get a uh, ride from people that were also going to the orchard every morning. Most of the time, I think we got a ride. Sometimes we didn't, but we had to make sure we were there on time in order for us to be able to get to this fruit picking, uh, cherry picking orchard. And so what we'd do is they'd give us this big, huge, um, like bucket, almost like a basket sort of, and it would crisscross over the back of your shoulders, but you could undo it. And so you'd, put it through your arms so the basket was in the front of you and it was on your shoulders and they would put you with, uh, we'd meet in the morning and they would talk to us about where we were going, we'd all go get on the back of a truck and they'd take us to the section that we were picking at, they'd give us a partner and usually it was my brother, my sister or my mate or whatever, you know what I mean and they'd give us letters and then we'd um, go down the rows and pick cherries all day. Now what happened is you, uh, when you filled your bucket, you went over to the supervisor who was there in that part, and you emptied, and you got it weighed, and then you emptied your cherries into this big thing, and you got weighed, you got paid by the kgs that you um, picked, and so if you were a good cherry picker. You could make a ton of money a day. If you wanted to muck around and eat the cherries and just gas bag, you wouldn't be able to be paid as much. Now, my sister was a freaking rock star at picking the cherries and talking and laughing, and it drove me nuts. (laughs) She had a talent for cherry picking, and she would make more money than me. And she was gas-bagging the whole time, man. And so, (laughs) some people I guess just have it and some don't. Uh, I'm not a huge success when it comes to working hard, but this job helped me to be able to work hard and have a good time. And at nights we'd meet up with friends and we'd eat and sleep. And I tell you what, every time I close my eyes, all I would see was cherries like every time I close my eyes just cherries 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 and we never got sick and we ate tons of cherries and we learned how to spit the pip in the middle out like a cool and cool ways not just like throw it like that like we put it in our teeth and we'd like actually be able to do it in this really cool way. I can still do it to this day if you want to see a cool way to spit the pip out you you give me a cherry and I'll show you <laughs> And we had a lot of fun. I can't believe my parents just let us loose out there like that, but that was my parents. They were amazing like that. Um, There was a lot of stuff that went down. There was a lot of partying. I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, Not that I got too involved in that, but, uh, yeah, just think, a bunch of teenagers together picking fruit and then coming home and having nothing else to do. So yeah (laughs) but I made enough money for me to be able to start saving for various different things and I came back the next year and I did it again and then I stayed longer because I was going to university and I needed more money and so after the cherry picking season I decided to stay and pick peaches now the lady that was in charge of picking the peaches that we got a job to she had a smaller orchard and I did not like her she sucked I don't know if she sucked or I sucked. I never know because I think as a teenager, I was kind of a brat. And so I don't really know if she sucked or if uh, I sucked. Like, I'm not too sure. But sometimes you meet adults as a teenager that you feel don't like you. And she was one of these people. She was good to the other people and she wasn't good to me. And so when you pick peaches, you have to pick them. They're way different from cherries. So cherries, what you do is you pick up the branch and you basically like, because they don't want the cherries without the stems. You know, they want them with the stems. So if you if you go to a cherry tree and you pull up the branch underneath, what you can do is you can kind of go click, 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 down the stems and they come off and they drop into your Um, Basket. I I don't know how to explain it more than just kind of that but it was really really cool and so what you can do is you can just lift it up and and go click 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 but it's not clicking but I don't know how else to say it and you just push it forward and those stems come off straight in and then you do that with every single branch and obviously my sister was a rock star at that. Peaches, peaches brew super, super easy. So when you're picking them, you can't like just like let them drop into the basket. You have to get your hand around them ever so softly, twist them and gently place them in the basket and you can't let one go on top of the other. And so it was a lot more dramatic um, picking peaches, but I needed the money and so I did it. Uh, One day the lady said, I guess I must have had a bad attitude or I must have, because I felt negative vibes from her, I gave back negative vibes. That was the way that I worked. Uh, I was confrontational and if you didn't like me, well, screw you. I don't like you then. You know what I mean? That's kind of like what I was like as a teenager, which uh, isn't good. (laughs) I don't know what was wrong with me. I know a lot of... anger inside, but I don't, maybe not anger, maybe attitude, I'm not too sure, because I can't think of anything I could should have been angry about, like I had a mum and a dad that loved me, and I had siblings and mates and stuff, so I don't know what it was inside me that was so um, volcanic, But if you don't like me, I don't like you. That was my attitude when I was a teenager, so I must have been giving her these vibes and I must have gotten had a smart mouth to her as my guest and everything and she told me that she wanted me to uh, leave and I was fired. Well, I couldn't have that because I had planned on being at this place for a certain amount of time and had told these people I was going to be there. I needed the money, uni. Uni is short for, when I say uni, that's short for university, and that's what we say in New Zealand, we call it uni, we don't call it college or whatever the hell it is that Americans call it, we call it uni or university, that's why we say we're going to go to university, over here they seem to say we're going to go to college, but we don't say that, we say we're going to uni or at uni, okay, so when I say uni, that's what I mean. So I was supposed to start uni like in about a month or six weeks or something. And so I planned on being able to work down in Roxburgh until that time. And so she had said, you're out. And I remember going back that night and thinking to myself, gosh, Melissa, you hate this lady, but you have to suck up to her. And I think that that was a really, really important lesson for me to learn. I did it the same when I was at Southern Girls High, so all girls school. I did it again when I was there, like, I really wanted to do art, but I didn't do it in my first year of high school and so they don't let people who do it in their second year do it without doing it in their first year. And I remember telling my mum about it and she said, Melissa, just go and ask. Just go in there and ask and then work your butt off. So I went in there to the art teacher and I said to her, listen, I know I haven't done the first year of art, but I'm begging you to let me do the second year of art. I'm telling you, I'm good at it. I'm a good artist You'll want me. I'll fit right in. I don't need the first year to prove that I'm a good artist. Just give me a chance. And the art teacher was like, yeah, okay. You know, you could tell she was thinking about it, but she let me do it, you know. And so I was, this peach lady had fired me because I'd had a bad attitude, I guess, and maybe. And uh, I, went, I remember going back and thinking, you're going to have to suck up to her, and you might as well give it a go. And so I go back to, and I can't tell you, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where you have to eat total, total humble pie to a person that has treated you like crap and you don't like, but they have something that you need and you have to basically grovel. (laughs) This was what I had to do. And it was really really hard (laughs) but obviously I have enough humility inside of me at the time to be able to have not just said well stuff this and stuff her and I'm out of here you know what I mean like I had enough inside of me to think come on Melissa you have to do this and so I go back to her the next day and I just begged her and groveled to her and told her I'm really sorry for Whatever it is that I did and I promise you if you give me a chance, I'll do a better job and all of this started. I, I don't remember what I said, but I remember going and basically like dropping to my knees and not physically, but emotionally and begging this lady for a job. And I got to put myself in this lady's shoes and she's look, she doesn't like me and she's looking at me and she... Probably felt sorry for me. And she gave me another chance. Can you believe that? (laughs) There's good people out there. But I was on the watch list. And so I had to keep my mouth shut. I had to do everything she said. I had to be good. And I was. And I kept that job. So yay for me. (laughs) I totally uh, kept that job. So that was awesome. And I was able to help pay for whatever I needed to pay for when I started up at uni. Now, while I was at uni, I stayed in the dorms at Church College of New Zealand. Church College of New Zealand was the high school that I went to in Hamilton, and it was the high school I went to for my senior year only. So what they had is they had dorms. I stayed in the dorm as a high school student. They also had dorms that were open, that uh, university students could stay, stay in. I stayed in one of those dorms with my roommate uh, Ra. And we uh, got to. I would hitch a ride to uni and stuff. But the job that I got. That helped me to get food. Was tutoring in the church college art room. So I had done art at church college. And had made a ton of friends. And actually the art room saved me. If it wasn't for art. My time at church college would have been a lot worse and being a part of Brother Balky's that's what we called him, his name was Royce Balky and we call everyone brother and sister in the church so my name would be Sister Nakaya if that makes sense and his name was Brother Balky and Hang on a second, I gotta stop. So, brother Bucky is not doing too well. Brother Bucky is, at the moment, uh, dying of cancer. And so, I love him. He changed me and loved me and. I'm going to talk about my time at Church College on a different episode, but I loved uh, art at Church College, and so Brother Balky, of course, he loved me, and he wanted me to be okay. He was always feeding me and asking me to come over at his house. I think he felt sorry for me, and I was, one of his sons was one of my best friends, and his other son was my brother's best friend, and, uh, Joshan and Shaza, and I, uh, He said, well, listen, there's kids at school that need, you know, like more time in the art room. What you could do for me is you could tutor in the art room like I don't know how long it was. I don't know if it was a couple of nights a week or more, but I would be in the art room. And Brother Bucky trusted me because he loved me and I loved him and I love him. And he gave me an opportunity to be able to tutor children in the art uh, in the art room at night, and from seven till nine or whatever. And kids would come down, and I would open up the art room for them to be able to be able to come and finish projects. And so that helped out kids a ton. It helped out me a ton because I was able to get uh, excuse me get um, food. And so that was a really good. So what they would do is they would give me tickets. And then with those tickets, every night that I tutored, then I'd be able to go up to the high school cafeteria and to be able to get some food from there, which was really good, because the dorms didn't really facilitate you being able to cook really well. There was no oven or anything, so it was really good to be able to have that job and to be able to get some food. And while I was tutoring in the art room, I made some really good friends. Uh, actually, one of my best friends, uh, Tony <clears throat> Tony Arkington, I made through uh, being a tutor in that art room, and we are still friends to this day. And so uh, I'm grateful that I had that job for the food. Again, it seems to be a common theme. <laughs> my job is about food. <laughs> and this job, I gained it... Uh, uh, one of my best friends from it. So I'm grateful for that job and for Brother Bucky. Uh, then I, at university, I was training to be a teacher. And I trained to, in education so that I could teach children from five all the way up to high school. My degree made me uh, be able to teach PE and art throughout high school. When I moved to America, it did not. America said, yep, we'll let you teach, but we won't recognize your PE and your art qualifications. You're going to have to, you're on your own for that. So I was like, oh, that sucks. And so what happened is when you train in New Zealand, you have um, practicums. Or practice, you know, during the summers and during the time when you're uh, training to be teaching, where you go into schools and you uh, are the person that uh, follows around the teacher and gets given time and stuff. And after you do that a few times, then you can be a, re- we call it relief teaching in New Zealand. Over here, they call it a substitute or a sub. We call it a reliever. So my job was a reliever and then I could get paid money for it. And I want you to know that being, in a teacher, being a teacher in New Zealand is really good. And so I chose to be a teacher thinking that I was going to live in New Zealand. Having absolutely zero goals to move to America. Like, zero. Like, when I thought about my life and my time and everything, it was all in New Zealand. My plans, boys that I liked, uh, my future goals was all me living in New Zealand and being a teacher in New Zealand was the awesome way to go because you get paid hundreds of dollars a day to be a relief teacher and so I thought well if I eventually get married and become a mum then I'll be able to still keep working like a couple of days a week and then I'll be able to still make like a few hundred bucks a week And then be able to keep up with my teaching and stuff. And in New Zealand, when you become a teacher, at least back when I was a teacher, hopefully, I'm pretty sure they still do it now, first-year teachers have a day off a week to be able to further their education, follow another teacher that's really good, get some extra training, support, you know what I mean? And what I would do is come in as that person's relief teacher. So same school, same teacher, same kid's, every week. And that was my plan. If I eventually became a mum, I knew I wanted to be with the kids, but I knew I could still work and be making pretty good money and me not have the stress of, oh, what class am I going to be in? I don't know. You know what I mean? Because I could relief teach like the same class like every week. You know what I mean? And so it was a great plan that didn't work out when I moved to the States. And so I relief teach at my dad's school in Aria. I taught a little bit about I talked a little bit about that in my other episode. Remember when I taught the kids the wrong thing about a noun and a verb? That was at my dad's school. <laughs> and so I relief teach at my dad's school in Aria there, and it was uh, really good. I was a okay teacher. You know what I mean? Like I love kids and I'm confident in front of a crowd, and I enjoyed teaching and I don't know if I'm good at it. I, I I'm unsure, you know, but I I don't know. I liked it. It wasn't a stress to me and I thought it was pretty good. I also did some relief teaching and it was really good money and I needed money, you know, for more than just food. <laughs> so I did a relief teaching gig in Tok for one term and this is the happened to be the same term that my father passed away and so I had taught for two weeks and then my father passed away and then I got a week off and then I had to come back and keep teaching. Now i got to set the stage up for you about this uh, relief te- teaching gig at this school. The This class was the hardest class to date that I've ever had to teach. I only just finished having nightmares about An out of control class just a few years ago and I haven't been teaching for like 16 years. (laughs) This class was a class of six-year-olds and they were brutal. I haven't seen anything before and anything since like like this class. There was six children, all boys, in this class that were really severely bad behavior problems. Like one of the kids used to jump out the window and just run away out into the field if he didn't like what you were doing. He'd just he'd just run away. And before I came in and was the relief teacher, the teacher before, which is probably the reason why she quit, I came in and this was what was going on. And I had a teacher's aide in my class, and the previous teacher would just tell the teacher's aide to go out and chase after the kid and tell him to come back well fortunately in this gig my mum was in the class next door to me and my mum is a total rock star teacher when you think of the best teachers in your life and the ones that you love picture my mum my mum knows everything there is to know and she is one of the best teachers you'll ever see and my mum has worked with so many different children. She's so knowledgeable, so knowledgeable. If I could be half of what she could be as a teacher, I'd be a total rock star. My mum is the what people should strive to be like as a teacher. So she was next door. What a fantastic resource! And I was telling her about this kid, and Mum's like, "Well, what he's doing is he's trying to get attention by going out. Don't send the teachers aide out. Just let him be out there by himself. He'll eventually want to come back because no one's paying attention to him." I'm like, "Brilliant, Mum!" And so then this kid jumps out the window, goes outside. He's trying to test me, and I said to the, and the teachers they went to go get him. I'm like, "Nah, just leave him." And she's like, "But he could run away." I'm like, "I'll tell the principal. I'll tell the principal that he escaped." And then she can deal with it. But we're going to stay in class. I need you in class. And he can just stay out there. And so what he would do is he, when that didn't work, he would make sure that he would come back and then start pulling faces in the window. So I'd shut the blinds on him. And then eventually he stopped escaping out of the class because he wasn't getting the attention that he needed. And so what I would do is I would remove him from the class when he was misbehaving. And I would make him sit in time out in my mum's room, and he hated it. He hated it. He wanted to be in the room with his mates and with us. And so eventually, we um, had made an arrangement with him. Now, when I had to go for the week, when my father passed away, uh, they divvied out these children into other classes. Because they didn't want to give the relief teacher for me these children and make their life a living nightmare. (laughs) So they divvied these children out to other people. And then when I came back, the teacher said, thank goodness you're back. These children are the worst. (laughs) And they gave them back to me happily. And I was like, oh, great. Well, it's good to know that I can be appreciated and then it's not just me making this up. These kids are really, really hard had another kid that I think was being um abused and he had a he was a different kind of child and I allowed him to sit wherever he want, wanted he uh he was really difficult but I was able to get through to him and it was real real trying trial and error And remember I haven't finished my degree in teaching when I'm taking this class I'm not even like fully qualified <laughs> And I've got these children that psychiatrists and trauma therapists need to be working with. And it's just me and my father just committed suicide. So I was a wreck. <laughs> and so this was crazy, guys. Okay. I had two other kids that like to just break out on fist fights in class. You know what I mean? And other ones that like to just yell out swear words and stuff. And so this was my reality for 10 weeks. <laughs> Anyway, by the end of the 10 weeks working with these kids, I we had a fantastic relationship. I could have taught them for another year because we had an understanding. And I like to see that as a success. Now, was I a good teacher? Who knows? But at the end of the 10 weeks, we meshed and gelled, and we had something going on. And that's something that nobody else could have done Uh, Nobody else, excuse me, lots of people probably could have done it, but nobody else had done to that point. And if it wasn't for my mum and my other mate that worked at the same school at the time, his name was Noro, and Noro was uh, him and I went through uni together, and we had actually met previously in in Invercargill. He uh, served a mission for my church, and he served down with my family. And so he went to uni with me, got a job at the same school as me, Um, relief teaching I think or a job and we were there together as well so he was comic relief for me because he was having a hard time too so him and I would be able to talk and having friends at your workplace is everything right and so that's that job and then I went um, on a mission for the church now this was a job I think that I chose to do but isn't um, money well I didn't get paid any money and I went because I wanted people to know about Jesus. I loved Jesus. I still do. And I wanted people to hear his message. Now, the people of Australia did not want to hear that message. <laughs> and so some of them did. Most of them didn't. And so uh, this job for me as a missionary was full of rejection, amazing people, crazy people, um, being teased a lot, being told a lot of things that people judged me for and thought that I was. I had people put dogs um, after me. I had to get along with companions that you're put with that you don't necessarily um, gel with and figure it out. It was really, really good for me. I learned how to work hard. I learned how to be in the job because you believe in it not be in a job just for food and money (laughs) and it taught me a lot of life skills it taught me um, like I said how to work with people that you don't necessarily get along with and how to sacrifice as well as voice your opinions and be able to uh, try and figure out what the best route is with another human and it was the beginning of me being able to have a relationship With my Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. Which is the foundational key of who I am. I believe in God and Jesus Christ. And then it also was foundational for me to learn how to keep my mouth shut. And when to open it. And have respect for people and their time and who they are. And to face rejection without getting depressed. And it taught me... A lot of really, really good lessons that traveled through and got me, I think, made me a better person for when I met Drew and married him. I think I just think it was really good for me to be able to be humbled and realize that there's opinions and voices and good people out there that don't think, feel do the same as you, and it was it was really really good for me. I I loved that even though it was hard. It was a really good job for me, to, and I learned like I like I've said fifty times so many things from it. So I'm glad. And then when I once I got back from my mission, I did some more relief teaching in an open plan classroom. This means that there was a building and there's two classes and it's just open. There's no wall. So there's a teacher over on that side of the building and there's me teaching here and you're just all open teaching. That was a little bit weird to start off with and I didn't think it could work. But it's surprising how quickly you get used to something and it was really, really good. Now I'm kind of a loud teacher and so it helped me to be able to realize that I needed to be able to voice my opinions and stuff and not such a you know, crazy way like how I like to do and stuff, and so it was a really good job for me, and I was finally ready to succeed in my career, and I think that that helped me a ton. And this is that the time when I met Drew, and so then my whole world changed because I was moved to Utah. And I, with the help of Drew's mom, I got a job in Utah and I'm not too, I can't remember what it was. I think it was a para or a, a helper of some kind, but I was really, really grateful to be able to have um, something. And then I interviewed for a job at a primary school called Woodrow Wilson. And the principal, I remember in this interview, because I'm a horrible, horrible interviewer, I do not get jobs because of interviews, because I'm too casual, I'm like not, um, I just, people don't like me when I interview for a job, a lot of people don't like me, (laughs) this is at least what I felt as a child. Anyway, so I went into this interview to be a proper teacher because it turns out my degree in New Zealand, like I said previously, could work in the States. All I had to do was three classes in three years while I was teaching. Easy peasy. I could work full as a proper teacher in the United States, and I was super stoked about that. Now, in the interview with this uh, principal, I was answering his questions, and he said, listen, I'm going to have to ask you to repeat that because I was listening to your accent. I wasn't listening to what you said. (laughs) I was like uh, okay so I don't think it was my interview that got the job and you know a long time later I asked the principal I'm like why'd you give me the job was it because I actually did good an interview for it once because I was way stoked about the fact that maybe I like was stellar in that interview he's like no it wasn't because of your interview and I was like what the crap he said that night I went home and I prayed about who I should choose for this job and I felt it should have been you And so that's why you got the job. (laughs) So I said, well, thanks Emily Father, I appreciate that. And I worked at Woodrow Wilson for four years. And it was really, really good. They were a total one school. And so there was so many children who were suffering at that school. And I cried so much in my first year teaching because it was so They were so, so needy. I had kids turning up without any socks in the middle of the snow. Their feet were bright red because they were so cold. I had kids that shared underwear with their um, siblings because they had to have turns with the underwear. I had children whose parents were on drugs would come high to uh, interviews parents were in survival mode. I had families that were living, multiple families living in apartments because they were trying to do the best that they could and they couldn't afford the rent. It was very transient. I had, there was 22 different languages spoken in that school. These kids came from, some from amazing hardworking family homes and some from super, super traumatic, traumatic homes. I had a girl that would sleep on the couch and she would come smelling like uh, cat pee to school every day and so they investigated and there was four cats inside and they were just allowed to pee everywhere and she was sleeping on the couch where all the cats peed. I had um, refugee kids, I had uh, kids that didn't speak any English of course and they all needed someone you know to love them and that was me. And I had teachers that complained about some of the ways that my kids smelled. And I said to the teachers, Well then don't smell them. Okay? But how they smell is the last thing that these kids are worried about. I used to give a reward to the kids when they were handing in. And doing various things. And one of the awards that I would give them is having lunch with me. Which was the most popular award. They just wanted someone to listen to them and to talk to them. And they would tell me things. They would say that they weren't allowed in the house. Until their parents had finished partying some weekends. And so they would sit outside the apartment until like 3 in the morning. When all the noise was down. And they knew their parents had fallen asleep. And then they could sneak in and go to bed. I felt extremely helpless, but tried to do, but came to the conclusion that the hours that I was at school, I was to dedicate to those children and I did. We almost adopted four kids before we had children drawn on because there were these children and their mom took off to Las Vegas and left them in the house. They didn't know where she was, what she was doing. And they had no one. I can't believe how scared those kids must have felt not knowing if their mum was going to come back and being by themselves, you know. So I don't know. It was a really, really, really good job. And I, again, don't know if I was a good teacher, but I did the best that I could with those children. And it was... It taught me a lot. It taught me so much about what children need and what they don't need. And I look back fondly on my four years teaching at Woodrow Wilson and I'm super grateful that that principal felt like Heavenly Father told him that I needed the job because I did and that helped me a ton. And it turns out I went from uh, some traumatized children to more traumatized children (laughs) I think it's ironic that I was such a bad student and yet here I was being a teacher with bad students I think this is what we like to call karma right (laughs) oh so great okay and then my last job that I've had for the last 16 years is the job of motherhood And this does not pay well, just like my mission, but I chose to do it anyway. And I didn't know what I was doing as a mother. I felt a massive amount of guilt for the first time ever as a mother. I had never felt guilt like how how I did as a mother. And that was a new feeling for me. I just just the copious amounts of guilt that I felt about not being good enough to be these kids mother that I had to try and work out I wish I could go back to my 27 year old self now that I'm 43 and tell her that you know it's okay, just let it all go it's gonna be alright, your kids are gonna be okay, just do the best that you can you know, so I had to find myself as a mum, and figure out what was important. Uh, I had to make sure that, because when you're a stay-at-home mum, nobody really cares, right? Like, you don't get paid, you don't get promoted, you don't get looked at. Actually, some people look down on you, because it's like, why aren't you contributing to society financially, to your partner? I've been said that to before. Like, just what do you do all day? How come you don't volunteer more? Why aren't you? How come? She's not doing it. She's a stay-at-home mom. What's she doing? You know, stuff like that. So all of these judgments and not super copious amounts of support. Like, I just think that When you choose to be a stay-at-home mother, when it's your choice, it's the hardest job I've ever done, period, because nobody appreciates you, (laughs) you're by yourself, so if you're not in it, in your heart of hearts, it's going to be really, really hard, because it's almost like you have this midlife mom crisis, and you're like, who am I? Have I been totally lost? Do I mean anything in the world? Uh, I remember cleaning up um, some of my son's poop on the ground. He had managed to wipe his butt on four different parts of the room and now I had four different roomful. I thought I had three and then later on that day felt more poop, found more poop in the fourth bedroom. I was like, thanks. And so I'm cleaning up poop and when you're a mum, you realize no one's going to do this for you. You're it. You're the mum. And I'm like, but I don't know how to do this. (laughs) I don't know how to get poop stains off the carpet, man. And it's just me in America. No mum. No sister. No cousins. Nothing. Just me. No one in New Zealand that understood how I was, who I was, anything like that. Just, just like, I just felt so out of place and so alone sometimes. And unworthy to be doing this as a mom. It almost seemed like it would have been easier to have pawned my kids out to a daycare and me have went back to work and work with other people's kids because staying at home with your own kids is really hard. It's really hard. At least it was for me. Maybe there's some of you out there that was of finding it easy and that's fantastic actually can you email me on the can of kiwi so that i can interview you <laughs> and you can tell us your magical ways <laughs> and so for me i think because people make judgments about you as a stay-at-home mom you have to be in it for you you have to be in it for you because when i was down cleaning up this poop in the fourth bedroom i said to myself i was meant for more than this I was meant for more than this. Look at me. Look at me. And I think this is the crux of when you're a stay-at-home mom, when you start trying to look for other things. You know what I mean? When in reality, the best place that I could have been in my life for me, Melissa Nakaya, was with my children. And I had to figure it out. I had to figure it out. And it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do the hardest thing cuz I was used to people being around people and doing things I was used to having connection with people that understood me I was in a country and a state where people didn't understand me my connections were my connections were there but I longed to have somebody from New Zealand just be with me and there was nobody and, but I made good friends, I made connections as I moved forward as a stay at home mom. I made people, some friends that understood and I could connect with. And that is so key as a stay at home mother. The connection, someone to offload to, someone to share with, someone to that sees you, somebody that somewhat understands, you know. And that was everything and that helped me out like a ton and I wasn't a helicopter mum and a lot of people around me were helicopter mums and I wasn't like if Masaru wanted to get in down and dirty in the mud and whatever I did not care and when I sat at the park with other mums I just slept Masaru free-range and he just did whatever he wanted you know what I mean and I remember some mum, Masaru fell off the let me back up so I was at a park They've got the playground there. There's a little bridge that connects part of the, part, part of the um, play set, if you want to call it. He fell off that bridge. And I remember some <laughs> mum some yelling out, Who belongs to this kid? This kid has fallen off this bridge. And I'm really concerned. And I'm like, yeah, he's my kid. He'll be okay. And she just looked at me with this look of utter disgust that I wasn't A around and B concerned for my child's welfare. Okay, this is the type of mother that I was. My kids figured it out. They didn't need me. They got down and dirty with uh, mud. They made themselves a sandwich. Masaru could climb up on the bench and make his own sandwich at three years old. Some of you might be thinking, that means you're a neglectful parent. And you're allowed to think that. And that's fine. To me, what I was parenting for was helping my child to be able to do things and be responsible for themselves. And we all parent how we need to in order to calm our anxieties and help ourselves. So if you need to do everything for your kid that's fine. Do it if that's what you want to do and you feel that's right. I'm not here to tell people how to parent their kids. As long as you're not beating your children or you're not um, doing stuff like that, do it however you want. I'm telling you my story and my story, I'm not a helicopter parent. I'm not. And I still believe that Having my children be able to explore and create without me hovering around wondering about germs or what they were going to get. Like Masari would make a Nutella and pickle and jam sandwich. That's what he wanted. That's what he made. That's what he ate. My children were picking out their own clothes that they wanted to wear at two years old. I remember my sister-in-law freaking out because she would give me clothes and they weren't um, paired together. You know what I mean? It she'd be like, that doesn't go with that. And I'm just like, so? But that goes with that, and it's like, so? You know what I mean? Like, I didn't care. My children were free-range chickens, and they went and they did what they want. Their clothes were clean, they were fed, they were read to, they were loved, but I didn't helicopter them. And I think that helped me out like a ton for me to be able to um, figure out like my own thing you know, and to be able to clean and do stuff that I wasn't hanging around them. You know what I mean? I didn't uh, do themed birthday parties. That wasn't something that I did. My house wasn't themed and beautiful because I'm not good at that stuff. I walk into some, I used to walk into some mums' houses and it was just beautiful and that's fantastic and Um, Some people love doing stuff like that, and they find the deals, and they do it. It makes them feel good, and I think that's amazing. That wasn't me. My house wasn't a house that would be in a magazine. My children weren't dressed like how they were to be in a magazine. I didn't do themed like I said birthday parties I put up some decorations from the dollar store and that was about it and I don't do that now I gave up because you know why because for me and my kids I realized that I really care about decorations and why am I spending money on this and you know and so I don't know maybe my kids missed out because I looked at these theme parties and they're just beautiful and like I said if you do themed parties and you love it, that's fantastic. And I'm really happy for you. And I think that's amazing. That wasn't me. So I didn't do it. And so I was simple. I was a simple mom, but I was a tough mum too. Like if my kids, like I said, if my kids got um, hurt, I would help them. But I don't know. I was just, I kind of like was like my mother in that way and but I was learning every day how to be a mum so I was kind of a mess I had a messy house like my first couple of children I wasn't organized and I'm not an organized person I didn't have spreadsheets I didn't have like recipes that I was going to do nothing I was actually not a very good cook I had to learn as I went and I was kind of a hot mess as a mum like but when my third child came along, that changed everything. I kind of had a fork in the road of now, when you have this third child, things are going to be chaotic. Do you want your house to be chaotic or are you going to change? And I chose to change and I started like organizing myself, as in cleaning my house. I started organizing myself, as in the food. And I started to actually change who I was. Uh, or how I organized myself, because I'm a kind of wing it, free spirit kind of girl, Drew's the organized one, but as a stay-at-home mom, once you have multiple children, you kind of have to be organized and know what you're doing, you can't just be, at least for me, I felt as if I needed to start or being a little bit more organized, which was super helpful, and I, th- and I thought it was really, really good. Now, <clears throat> I'm learning all the time and I still am a mom and have been a mom for 16 years and now I'm a mom of two teens and it's kicking my butt. The exhaustion that I feel from being a parent of teens is the same exhaustion I felt as being a parent when they were babies but they need me in a different way and when you're a mom of little children you have this illusion of control over them because you set their play dates, you drop them off, you pick them up, you have them everywhere but when they're a teenager it's not like that anymore, and it's almost like you're you you've been pushed aside when they've become a teenager, and you realize that that illusion of control that you had was just that—it was a total illusion. And so, what I've found is I've been pushed to the sidelines, and if I want a front row seat or a nosebleed seat. That's up to me and how I parent my teens. Now, of course, I want a front row seat. And so I have to make sure that I parent in a way that allows my teens to keep me in the front row of their life and not be pushed back into the nosebleed seats and have other influences in the front row of my teen's life. And that is what is kicking my butt because... They want to be who they want to be. And I need to let them and facilitate that in a way that allows them to try and figure that out, but in a safe environment from a mum and a dad who is trying to protect them from hurting themselves because teenagers will hurt themselves. <laughs> it's been really, really hard and really tough. And I'm not a perfect mother, but I tell you what... Uh, my friend Shannon said this to me. There's two truths. The two truth is this: is that I'm doing my best, and it's not going to be enough. Okay. And so what happens is I'm a mum, and I'm doing my best. I absolutely am. I can look at my children's and the in my, at my children's faces, and I can tell them what I have given you in this past 16 years is my best. It was my best on the day. That I yelled at you. It was my best on the day that I didn't yell at you. That is my best. Now, is it enough to make you the perfect human? No. And that's not the goal, right? Because was there a was there is there a little bit of neglect that went on? Maybe I don't know. Like, was there damage from me yelling at my kids sometimes? Probably, right? Will they have to be in therapy? I'm not sure. But if they do. And if I'm in the front row, then if they need anything from me, I'm going to be there for them. Apologizing, but telling them that that was my best and that it's probably not good enough. Right? And I think this is what I have to remind myself as a mother, is you're doing your best and it's not going to be good enough to give them everything that they need. They have to figure that out for themselves. What you're giving them is the very best that you can do and that's all that can be asked for. And I think that that's what I've been trying to do as a mother. You know what I mean? It's changed my entire life and my whole perspective on my life. The reason I'm in therapy is because I came to a point when I realized that I have to learn to love myself and be authentically myself. And to be forgiving of who I am and understanding and compassionate in order to have a shot of being a decent mom for these children that mean the most to me in the whole world. And so it's children and being a mother that has made me the best person that I could be. Nobody could push me to be This intrinsically visual of how I'm feeling if I didn't have children, I don't believe. My children have pushed me to try and be the best that I can be for them, but really for me, right? And without being a mother, I don't know how long it would have taken me to come to this point because I want to give Masaru the best version of myself that I can so that he can see what it looks like to love himself, to be the best version of himself and Yuki as well, especially since she's a girl and I'm a girl and she wants to be a mom. I have to show her how a strong woman that loves herself and is confident looks like. And I can't just tell her I have to be that and it's really hard. Because I've got a long way to go. But because of these beautiful, beautiful people that I've been a mother to, I am becoming a better person. Now, am I perfect? No, uh, not at all. And so it's been the worst paying job that I've ever had. But I've learned so much from it. And this podcast is part of me wanting to be and do and give back. To the community and be a better version of myself. I want you to feel like you are not alone. I want not that I'm saying that you're any of these things, but I want you to feel like you have somewhere to come that's a safe space. I want you to listen to people's stories and them have a safe place. I want you to be able to come and to know that this is an honest space for us to be able to tell each other's stories and to be together. And Nothing worthwhile comes without working hard and this is what I've learned and this podcast has been really, really hard for me and I am not tech savvy and I don't know what I'm doing, okay? I don't know what I'm doing, but I've sat and researched and worked hard and we know that nothing good comes easy, it always takes hard work and persistence and never giving up on yourself and never giving up on what you know in your heart that you need to be doing and that you're passionate about. I'm passionate about this podcast. I'm passionate about the ideas that I have. And, but it's been really hard work. And I appreciate the people that have helped me out with this and I appreciate your support. There's this scene in the matrix and Trinity and uh, Neo, uh, it's the last Matrix, it's a trilogy, it's the last one, and they're, he's just about to fight the main guy in the end to save the whole world. And they're in this spaceship, and they're down battling with all the machines, and it doesn't look good, and things are really bad, and Trinity's driving because Neo's blind. Anyway, Trinity's like, I gotta pull up, I gotta pull up. And she pulls up and, and the spaceship or the shuttle or whatever you want to call it, the plane, goes up. And for a split second, she sees above the clouds this beautiful sunset, this beautiful sun above the clouds and this beautiful scene. And it takes her breath away and she's like, oh. And then she goes back down into the war. And sometimes as a mom and as a, I felt that. I felt as if I've been in the trenches of motherhood. But every now and then, more often than probably Trinity Trinity and Neosaur, I have this view and this beautiful view of my children playing together, of my family together. I have a beautiful feeling about this podcast and about what it can be and do. And it's those moments that I think let us know that A, we're in the right place and B, we're doing the right thing. And it allows us to be able to go back in and to fight For fight for what's worth it despite what anybody thinks or any of the judgments to continue to fight, to continue to push forward, to continue to go with what we know that we should be doing even though it's hard and even though some days it takes everything out of it because we know that there is a sunset above the clouds and that keeps us from pushing forward with our things of passion, and that's how it feels sometimes being a mother. I look forward to talking more with you, and I'm excited about our next guest, and I appreciate you listening to this, this is a very emotional podcast, this one today, so sorry about that, but uh, I mean, what what can I tell you, I'm keeping it real, right, this is a candid kiwi, this is a very candid episode, so welcome to the world of being a part of me. (laughs) I appreciate you all being with me I'm super grateful to be able to have shared these jobs and a little bit more about my life with you Uh, thanks for listening I love the fact that I get to do this and I have an audience of about 100 people (laughs) and I appreciate those people so much and for the support that you give me I'll sign off for now until next time, ka kite anō, Hey, me again. So, I've been doing a little bit of editing and realised that I said something that I need to semi-correct. So, in my emotional state when I was talking about being in Utah and just wanting someone from New Zealand to be able to relate to, I in fact had people from New Zealand to relate to. I wasn't all by myself. So, I'm feeling a little bit bad that I said it so dramatically. I had my two friends from New Zealand, Yvette and Katie, and it was really nice to be able to have two Kiwis to be able to be friends with. Now, I would have loved it if they were actually living with me in my same street, but they weren't and so I didn't get to see and be with them all the time. But when I did, it really helped me a lot and we had a connection that helped me to be able to feel better and understood when I was in my time in Utah. I also had Drew's family that tried to help as much as they could and they were really kind to me and they were really good to me. And like I said, I made lots of other connections as well with people around. Uh, sometimes I in fact did feel alone. I just probably really missed my friend Katarina. I really missed her a ton. Uh, she's my best friend from New Zealand. and sometimes I just long for her. And as I was saying that little dramatic speech of mine about how I was alone, sometimes and as a mama Utah, really, In my mind, I envisioned missing Kat because I wanted her to be in my life. Kat understood me, Kat got me, Kat had a connection with me that can't be duplicated. I miss her in my life and I missed her when I was a young mom because we knew each other inside out and it was easy really easy do you have anyone in your life and your connection with them is extremely easy like I knew I was welcome in Kat's house whenever I needed to no matter what was going on whether it was her with her family or with her cousins or friends or with her boyfriend (laughs) I was always welcome in her life and sometimes I just miss that connection of having somebody that was there for me no matter what so that's kind of the background of while I was feeling a little bit sorry for myself there's no reason to feel super sorry for me I had a lot of people there to support me and I had my two Kiwis there that I connected with and I have family and of course I had my husband Drew, I also mentioned that as a stay-at-home mom, no one appreciates you. Drew appreciates me and he appreciated me and it helped him to be able to concentrate on school, work and his career a lot easier and eased his mind knowing that I was at home with our children. And so he appreciated me and supported me the best way that he knew how, just like I supported him the best way that I knew how. So, I just wanted to let you guys know about that little uh, piece of information after the fact. And I appreciate you loving me holistically for who I am, warts and all, drama and all, and misinformation and all. But I want you to know that I appreciate all of your support in this seventh episode. Kakite ano!